0: Scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we dealt with the the first part of that chapter. Um, And we're gonna pick up at verse uh, 17. So let us uh, hear the words of God from 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen, and following. Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of the others. And one is hungry and another is drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks he broke it and said, take, eat. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this, the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of our Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment, and the rest I will set in order when I come. This is the reading of God's word. Our text provides a series of instructions. First, it's regarding uh, misguided worship that was taking place in Corinth. Paul speaks against the factions and the divisions uh, that had developed in Corinth. Secondly, we have a restatement regarding Uh, the institution of the Lord's Supper. And then thirdly, instruction regarding how to prepare to partake of the Lord's Supper. And then looking at this passage, it it would be easy to extend uh, about four sermons out of this one chapter. Um, But I think we somewhat would miss uh, one of the major points that Paul is seeking t- to make here. And so I'm taking that as, as a whole, um, certainly acknowledging that it could be broken down uh, into smaller sections. But it's easy to miss a main point here uh, when we do that as well. So here goes. Paul does not praise. Uh, that's, we find that in the verse 17. Okay, now I'm giving these instructions, I do not praise you. That's in contrast to how he began the chapter in verse uh, 2 of chapter 11. Now I praise you, brethren, <clears throat> that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions, just as I delivered them to you. So, Paul begins with, I guess you would say, the positive, and now he's gonna go to the negative where he's going to deal with some issues. And some of the language is very strong. So it's very significant, uh, again, that we give heed to that. Praising you here is is not um, in the sense of glorifying, but it's really commending them for doing what was good and what was right and what was in fact in line with those very traditions uh, that Paul passed on. Paul heard that there was divisions And um, he was aware of those divisions. Uh, Again, in in verse 18, for first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. For Paul to make This kind of a statement obviously means he got word secondhand and um, so he's not if you would throwing it that's trying to draw some broad uh, condemnation of the church because he heard that there were divisions he's recognizing that there may be people in the church that aren't part of those divisions. Okay, but it was very clear from chapters one and two uh, when he addressed the issue of divisions and people aligning with certain people. Um, so he, he's slightly qualifying it here, but he's nonetheless very clear that there are divisions, and then he's going to, again, continue to, to address that. Um, He heard that there were divisions. And then he says uh, that he puts these divisions, uh, describing them as fractions or uh, generally uh, dissenting groups within the church. Um, So a division just simply means that you have two groups. And those two groups could be pretty close to the same, but the basis of their existence uh, could be culture, could be age, could be all kinds of things, which wouldn't necessarily be a complete negative. Now, we know that the divisions that took place, as he described, the beginning of this letter were divisions where people were aligning with certain apostles or certain uh, ministers and and there was they were basically uh, developing groups and they were in fact disagreeing and they were taking different uh, but we don't know exactly what that actually looked like. We're, we're given a little bit of detail on it but not much. However when we t- begin to talk about things as being a, a faction then we're talking about where there is more, uh, if you would, sandpaper between the groups. There is more uh, issues that are causing um, further divisions. And um, when you have groups that develop within a church, um, and and we've seen it, and 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 I'm sure many of you have seen it happen. It often involves, uh, usually an, a single issue, maybe turning into multiple issues, maybe uh, turning into uh, recruitment, uh, maybe th- creating a common document, um, and oftentimes having uh, one individual who rises to the top as Uh, as the leader uh, of that group and when these kinds of groups are are formed um, it it can be very difficult um, to deal with the actual issues that might have been the basis of those groups being formed. Paul is clearly seeking to address these uh, factions in Corinth um, throughout the whole letter. This is not about just doing one, uh, it's not just about what's happening here in chapter 11. And the issue is all tied to Christian liberty. Okay. First Corinthians 6, 12, going back about halfway into the letter, we read, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are expedient. And so, my first point is that there is these divisions, they do exist, and they that Paul is literally saying, I do not praise you regarding these because of the impact of them. But again, let me just um, think a little bit with you about what he has addressed so far. In chapter five, he addressed Christian liberty as it related to the church as a whole tolerating sin. In fact, it was sin of essentially adultery. In chapter six, he was ta- he's talking uh, to brothers who went to secular courts to resolve disputes. And again, what the primary issue is there is that they believed as Christians they had the liberty to do this that there wasn't any problem in doing this. In chapter seven we had a whole host of instruction regarding marriage, regarding uh, a number of conditions of those people who are married and and are converted and their spouse is not converted and how does that all work out? But again, Paul is uh, seeking to correct uh, places where people thought they had liberty to conduct themselves uh, when they really did not. And so that instruction in some things he affirms is is good, other things he says no. Chapter 9, um, he says, uh, this is more of a side note I guess, verse 19 he says, for though I am free from all men, I have liberty, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. In other words, Christian liberty is not about what we can get away with, it's about how we can serve God and that we are to do that according to his word. In chapter 10, we looked at eating meat sacrificed to an idol and how it was offensive to some of the other believers. And again, the issue of liberty, whether or not I have the ability, because I have a clear conscience, conscience, does that mean I cannot eat meat that's been sacrificed to an idol in front of a a brother or a unbeliever, for that matter, uh, that is offended by what I am doing? offended to the believer, but to the non-believer, I'm affirming them in their, their practice. And so, for conscience sake, I control my liberty. Okay, so, um, in the beginning of the chapter, uh, we looked at uh, the issue, particularly, of women trying to step into the role that men had, particularly in the area of uh, public prayer and prophecy. And again, the issue at heart there is liberty and whether or not we have the liberty to do certain things. The Christian life is constantly refining. It's, it's redefining. It's redefining aspects of our life. When a person is converted, there is a true sense in which everything changes. The way we look at the world, the way we think about the world, the way we think about our work, the way we think about our family, it is significant. It's no small thing for any individual to be converted. It is life changing. It changes how we view society, changes how we view government, changes how we view political issues, it changes everything. Because now we are beginning to, again, have that same approach that Paul spoke about of wanting to serve our fellow man and at the same time wanting to bear witness of God's mercy to us. We are that one that that has been uh, forgiven who goes jumping down the road rejoicing. Now, Most church people, when they come out of the sanctuary, you know, are not really bubbly. Some of them, ha, survived that one again. Um, But that is our life as a believer. When we're converted and we're saved by grace, we rejoice in that. And we convey that to those around us. And so issues that were never issues are issues. Solutions to issues that were no longer acceptable uh, or that were acceptable are no longer acceptable. And this is true of the Jews uh, that were converted as well as the Gentiles that were converted. Every time a conversion happens, a reevaluation process begins. And the strange part about it is it never stops. It's called sanctification. We are constantly growing in our faith. We're constantly having to go back down to our knees and acknowledge where we sinned and to turn from that sin and see that sin as not just something that we got away with, but something that is actually working to our destruction and fully judgeable, if I can put it that way, by God. We're guilty, we're truly guilty. Verse 19, for there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. And then verse 20, therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's supper. For eating, one each one takes his own supper ahead of the other. One is hungry and another is drunk. So, when we get to this portion of the passage, it almost seems like too much of a shift. It almost seems like, wait a minute, we were just talking about divisions, and general worship, and how that was being conducted, and now, all of a sudden, we're talking about the Lord's Supper. Now there's a number of the commentaries that actually make the case that the Lord's Supper, and particularly in this verse, is referring more to the whole worship service that was involved, and that's why you have those who are eating and drinking and that and carrying on, uh, as it were. So it, they, there wasn't, um, and, and again, this is. Uh, a little bit over my uh, understanding of being able to make a solid case, but I think it, it does seem uh, that it, it is right. And we're, we're in good company to take that position. Um, and so, the again, what, what it, this is speaking about is the entire worship service and how it was done. They were getting together, and at this time, They were probably getting together in homes or who knows where. This this was not a formal church as we know it today uh, that was getting together. And Paul raises in verse 22 several questions, four of them in fact. Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise, which goes back to verse 17. Paul is clearly not congratulating the church for their exercise of unchristian liberty, or we could call it self-serving liberty. And so... He goes from that discussion to speaking about the Lord's Supper. And I think it's really interesting and because uh, uh, this is a passage that we often re- refer to when we're having the Lord's Supper, it, it's often read and uh, and properly so. Uh, but it's interesting that Paul um, if you would, escapes his own words and looks to Christ and what Christ established and quotes Christ, okay? So he, he, he sets it up on the, in the night in which he was betrayed. This is what happened. He took bread and when he gave thanks, he broke it and he said these words, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me, verse 25, in the same manner he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then Paul adds, uh, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes, which is also, by the way, said by Christ. So if you look at Matthew 26 or Mark 14 or Luke 22, you will find the same words of Christ. So Paul just went into those books and he pulled this in here. And he said it before the Corinthians. And so, again, he's given them general instruction regarding the worship service and how that's being conducted and how that their Christian liberty had gone awry. They were not no longer considerate of one another. And then from there, he pulls them right into uh, the Lord's Supper, which certainly, in of itself, should have caused them to truly pause and do what? to recognize what Christ did on their behalf. To recognize that Christ is the one who had had submitted himself, that his body would be broken, that his blood would be shed. In other words, what about Christ's liberty? Did Christ have the liberty to say, I'm not doing this? It's kind of a futile question because it's, uh, it's like putting God in the place of man. Such a question never arose. Okay? Christ laid down his life for his people. Why? Because the Father asked. John 17. And he did so in order to save us. Did he use his liberty? No, he became a servant to God in order that we might be brought into the kingdom. Sometimes I think we forget what salvation's all about. We have been saved by grace. Did Christ do this because we had so many good works that we could show or any of that? No. It's a a, something that is born in the decree of God. And so that's why Paul brings this up here. And then he goes on to speak about My final point which is the instruction that he gives then in terms of what we can expect if we fail to properly understand what the worship of God is, what the Lord's Supper is, if we fail to put our liberty in check. Verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. How powerful is that? To eat in an unworthy manner is to make ourselves guilty, literally, of the body and the blood of the Lord. And then he gives further instruction. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And then he goes on to say, for this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. In other words, there is judgment. There is an exercise of proper discipline even by God. of those who have been saved and Hebrews uh, chapter 12 also bears out this same theme and so Paul is asking that these things be taken into consideration verse 29 though has an interesting Phrase in it, and I, I'll finish up pretty much with this, and that is that there that we are not, um, or I should, I'm going to put it in the positive. It's easier that we are to discern the Lord's body. So, what does it mean to discern the Lord's body? Well. I, every now and then I get in trouble and try to go back to some of my Greek. And um, it's interesting though, this particular word has essentially three different uses in, in the New Testament. The word discerning is how it's interpreted here and in Acts 15 and 9. And both of them are in the sense of making distinctions. But the same word is also used in Jude uh, 9 and in Acts 11.2, where it is used in the sense of disputing, which is obviously by the use of reason. And thirdly, it's found in Matthew 21.21 and James 1.6 in terms of doubting, where James says, pray without doubting, okay, and it's kind of like, well, how does this all, these words fit together? Well, they do. Um, They're all about discerning. They're all about considering uh, when you're disputing with somebody, you obviously have to make a distinction between the person you're disputing with, right, and when it comes to doubting, even doubting, you generally have a reason to doubt something, so they're, they're very much all connected. And so, and I think they're very also very much every one of these interpretations are actually applicable to the sense in which Paul is using it here. In terms of, uh, of us, you know, looking at uh, and understanding the cross understanding what has been done on our behalf uh, by Christ. Understanding what God the Father, what the Holy Spirit have done in working out our salvation. And as we have that understanding from the Word of God, we clearly make these distinctions. We make, uh, we, we, we have the ability to dispute uh, the world and, and its various philosophies. We have the ability to actually quelch improper doubts and encourage proper doubts. You know, there's a lot of proper doubts. Uh, we're not given everything in the scriptures. We are not given the whole, everything that is, could possibly be known is not given to us. And that's very clear. And so there are some times where we can truly say, we're not sure about this, and that's okay. So we have, uh, again, this, we, we begin with the worship service, we go to the Lord's Supper particularly, and now we're looking at how it is that we are to think about the worship service, and the Lord's Supper. And it's all in this confine of Christian liberty. It's all tied into that. I think the biggest thing that I particularly was impressed with in this passage is the importance of order the importance of thoughtfulness, the importance of considering one another on every level. And it also, we grow in that and we have that ability to discern those things, even order itself, we know what disorder is. I can guarantee you, most grade school teachers can walk into a classroom and tell you in two seconds whether it's disorderly or orderly. We know what that is. We know what it looks like. And there are reasons behind it. And we can make distinctions where we can understand it all the more. In our thinking, And how we think these things impact if we embrace the liberty we have in Christ is who can I serve I am free to serve I mean it's 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 complete again uh, reversal of of what would be my thinking in the flesh In the flesh we want to say who can serve me you know and it's quite the opposite in the gospel and again this goes back to the whole notion of having consideration for one another I think there's again a number of things that we want to keep in mind this letter is a letter Paul sat down, and wrote the letter, put it in the envelope. I don't think he needed stamps at that time. He had to give it to somebody to carry, okay? And it, it, it went. And the, there's themes within this book. And I think it's a good lesson on how we have to be careful sometimes with these passages and understanding them in the full scope of the letter. And again, that's why I wanted to go through all of this and uh, rather than try to take one piece at a time. We do learn that Christian liberty is not the freedom to do whatever we want to do. And we also learn that we need to judge ourselves. We know when we're wrong particularly as we are more and more informed by the word of God. And finally, we take serious time to reflect upon our new life in Christ. And I became a believer, I think it would have been when I was 19. having come out of Roman Catholicism and really not wanting to pay much attention to it, by the way, when I was in it. And I continue to grow. You know, I, I, there were so many times in my life where I thought, boy, now I got it down. No, it don't happen. You know, we constantly need to bring ourselves back to what we were saved from, and be able to rejoice again in what God has done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks and praise, again, for your goodness, for your care, for your word. We pray that you would apply these things to our hearts, that we might grow in grace and understanding and serve you all the more. Amen.